this special presentation today of a Heart and Soul program, we present to you a story that was written by Carla Evans some years ago on the Vietnam War, and it's called Andy, We Salute You. This uh, program is for podcast hearers only, and we am sure that you will enjoy it. And just to let you know that this is in honour of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Day, August the 18th. So play this uh, as many times as you want and enjoy it. Pass it on to your Vietnam veterans' friends that they might uh, uh, enjoy it as well. And uh, we thank uh, those that participated in, in presenting this presentation. The program originally was entered into an Australia-wide community radio competition and won first prize. So we're very proud of the program and we know that uh, it will be a blessing to you. The reader of the story is a man by the name of Barry Goodyear who used to be a radio announcer on 3NE in Wangaratta and he consented to come and to do that reading for us and the result of it we believe is very, very good. So here then now is the program, Andy, we salute you. Andy, we salute you. A story of the Vietnam War, written by Carla Evans and read by Barry Goodyear. The arm with clenched fist was raised and men automatically dive for the undergrowth of the jungle floor. With a loud coughing roar, the mortar whistled over their heads and exploded, sending whistling shrapnel not far from them. They instinctively ducked their heads to miss the flying branches, gnarled and twisted vines, undergrowth, dirt and debris. The M60's nose was slung around and pointed in the direction from where the mortar fire had come. And roaring into life, it sent a hail of deadly bullets deep into enemy territory. With its range of 4,000 feet, the gunner continued to fire control bursts around them while his mate was unravelling extra ammunition belts to feed into it. The radio man was crouched behind an anthill, giving grid locations and compass-bearing information to headquarters, and the chain of men locked into their call sign of 1, 2, Alpha. The noise was deafening, but no one noticed. It barely illuminated the jungle floor as the men of the Royal Australian Regiment, or grunts as they were commonly called, exchanged fire with the Viet Cong. At 30 yards, the black pyjama-clothed Viet Cong were hard to see, and at times it was more by gut instinct or sound rather than by visibility that the men fired their weapons. The grunts relied heavily on the forwards in front of them to warn them of the approaching enemy. They were all constantly alert and on guard. The sweat from Andy's brow continued to run down his face and into the sweat cloth draped around his neck. Muscles tense and ears straining to catch the sounds of silent men, the hidden enemy. His eyes ever searching backwards and forwards for a glimpse of the black pyjamas. His nostrils twitched, 
striving for the scent of the smoky, smelling bodies of the Viet Cong. Slowly he turned his head to see where his mates were. He felt more secure then seeing them and knowing where they were. He did not feel so alone. The knots in his stomach pressed into the ground as he lay there on the organic, rotting and muddy floor of the jungle. He had forgotten the ache in his back caused by his 80-pound pack digging into his flesh. Everything about this soldier was tense and alert. God, I wish, I wish that something would happen, he thought. I hate this time of waiting. The waiting to hear the groans of a dying or injured man. The waiting for orders to move up or to relax. The radio crackled with static, and a high-pitched masculine voice repeated with precision, Target denied! Target denied! Repeat, target denied! The section leader passed this information on to his men, and slowly the holocaust of the last ten minutes began to subside. Everything became still. Even the monsoonal wind in the treetops seemed to cease its function of blowing. The chattering monkeys had long since disappeared, and other jungle creatures had scattered at the first sound of the guns. Only the bomb-scarred jungle around them moved as nature came to terms with the groans of the bruised and bleeding vegetation. The grunt nearest to him turned and looked at him. He gave the thumbs-up signal as a big grin broke over his brown gaunt face. All clear! Andrew, or Andy to his mates, returned the grin. He could not help himself. The adrenaline in his body wanted to be released. He wanted to stand and shout with sheer relief. He wanted to keep searching further into the dense jungle for the elusive Viet Cong. But discipline cautioned him not to be foolish, and experience had taught him that there would be another day, another time to fight. The section commander signaled all of them to keep moving on. No casualties, no dust-offs. The forward scout rotated his position with the rifleman and with no time to relax, they moved on. Boy, how he'd love a smoke. The platoon stopped an hour later. With scouts posted and a safe distance between each grunt, they broke open their rations and shared the hexamine stove. A quarter of a cup of coffee and some rice, spaghetti and the ever-faithful dog biscuits, followed by the long yearned-for cigarette. That'll keep the hair on your chest, mate. That was the standard joke about the food. But because they had no choice in their diet, and because tension drained their bodies of strength, they ate it. The men still had to be careful. The Viet Cong could smell the smoke of their cigarettes and the crap that they buried. It all left a trail of where they had been. Oil from his rifle and ingrained dirt from the jungle smeared his cheeks. His hands explored the roughness of the pre-dawn shave. It had not done much for his complexion. Oh, well, he mused, there are no round-eyed beauties out here to impress. He looked at his mates once more. God, they'd been through a lot together. They were real mates. They depended on each other for their very lives. They could almost talk to each other with their eyes. Never in his 22 years had Andy had mates like these men. They had puked together, peed together, partied together, and fought together. All these experiences had drawn them close. They were a unit, a team. Andy looked at the newest recruit, the Rio, amongst them. This was his first ambush. 
his first real experience of what war was really like in Vietnam. They would all look out for him until he'd learned the ropes, but he would learn fast as they had had to. He would have the last of his ignorance and naivety knocked out of him by the time they opened to New Edat. It's funny, Andy thought. Looking at him is like looking at myself two years ago. The yellow card in the mailbox saying goodbye to family and friends. The completion of the initial army training course. Shipped out to Vung Tau, then flown by a Chinook helicopter to Nui Dat, and walking in the jungles of Vietnam by 21 years of age. What a climactic way to complete living out the tender years of your teenage life. The Rio wasn't doing too badly. He had only peed the same amount of times as they had, and the dark moisture stains on his greens was probably due to sweat. He seemed to be in control of himself so far. Andy reflected on how well the army did train its men. Every order had an immediate action to it. They'd been drilled and drilled so that every response was automatic and immediate. When and if I get back home, Andy promised himself, he would try to look up their old sergeant major and shake his hand. In all of his training days, he would make them march, drop, march, jog, press-ups, run with full packs, drop, fire, climb ropes, march, squat, till he thought that he could not go any damn further. Yet relentlessly, they were all pushed further and further into physical feats of endurance. And the old sergeant major would stand and yell at them all, I'm here to save your bloody lives, boys. And my oath thought, Andy, you old sod, you have too. Their ten months of training had paid off. And though the Rio might be shaking on the inside, he was in control of himself. It was Andy's turn to be forward scout. He wearily fastened his backpack to his worn-in webbing, hoisting it up on tired shoulders and draping his sweat cloth around his neck again, he quietly moved up to the lead. He realized that there was another patrol in front of them. But all the alertness may not only save his life, but also the lives of his mates. His eyes and ears once again began to strain at every movement, at every sound. They trudged on through the dense jungle all morning, only stopping long enough to rotate positions once more. Andy wasn't sure which position he really liked the best. Forward scouts were open targets. The machine gunner and his mate weren't bad hunting either. He shrugged his shoulders. Oh, they were all good targets. He knew, though, that there was one position that sent cold and sweaty shivers up his spine. That was the position of Tail End Charlie. Tail End Charlie's job was to guard the rear of their platoon. With one eye, you had to keep sight of which direction your mates were heading. And with both eyes and ears, you had to watch where you had been. For the Viet Cong sometimes liked to sneak up behind the grunts. He was always scared sick that when he turned around to see his mates, he would have lost them. Then he'd be all alone in this hellhole of a place. Their present mission was to search and destroy the bunkers that the Viet Cong had built. Now, these bunkers could be of different sizes, ranging from holes in the ground to conceal two men, 
or large enough to have a field hospital in them. They usually had stored rice, clothing, ammunition and general field supplies in their catacombs. M26 grenades did a lot of damage to these bunkers, but sometimes heavier artillery had to be called in. The day wore on. Andy by this time was walking behind the radio. The signal came to rest again. As they put down their equipment, the appointed guards from the section placed themselves to the north, south, east and west of the men. The radio crackled and communications were given of their changed positions to headquarters, along with an up-to-date grid. Lying with his back against the roots of a gnarled and twisted tree trunk, Andy allowed himself to reminisce once again. It was a dangerous pastime, as he knew that he would get angry. He could feel the frustrations building up in him as he thought of the news that they had just received from headquarters. The Australian post office was on strike. This prevented the men from receiving any mail from home. There were no connections with people that he knew and loved and supported him. No point of contact to keep the men going. God, he thought, perhaps we should take a little bit of this war and deposit it in the Aussie post office and on the Aussie wharves. The wharfies had also been out on strike, so urgently needed supplies for the injured soldiers, food and other necessities were not being sent to them. Did Andy ask for this war? Did he ask for his career to be cut short and sent to a strange land to kill strange people, a land whose people did not really know what they wanted themselves? The Royal Australian Regiment stationed in Vietnam had not requested to come and fight this battle. The Australian government had volunteered their services. Weren't the people back home aware of what was happening to them? They had been called to represent their country, and they had risen to that calling. Did people understand what it was like to see your mate walking in front of you one minute, and then to see him blown backwards by the force of a Claymore mine the next, and you watch him slowly die, his body full of holes and drowning in his own blood? You sit there with him, utterly helpless to do anything for him. You cannot relieve his pain or his knowledge that he was about to die. Were they aware of the overpowering feelings of fatigue the soldiers felt as they trudged mile after mile, scrub-bashing the jungle, climbing up through heavy overgrowth hills, lying in muddy rice paddies, feeling so thirsty, and knowing that thirst could not be quenched by the allocated water available to them? Did they worry about scorpions or snakes? The crates, the venomous crate snakes. And didn't they care that the black-clothed Viet Cong would and did use innocent women and children against the grunts so that you never knew just who your enemy was? Or to experience what it was like to lie pinned down in an ambush in thick vegetation with the blinding lights of bullets and of mortar bombs flying around you and yet you still had to expose your position so that you could return the fire? Andy, Andy, come on, mate, it's time. Andy pulled himself together. Can't let the mate see him like this, especially the young Rio. With an effort, he gave the thumbs-up signal to his mates. With weary arms, he hoisted his pack once more onto his aching back, and falling into his position, his feet automatically began the motion of following in the path of his mates in front. Six days and a wakey to go. Six days and one sleep before going home. Andy knew in his gut that he would be going home. 
and a sense of relief flooded through him. The army had taught him a lot. They had taught him to fight. They had taught him to kill. They had told him when to eat, when to sleep. Would he be able to think for himself when he did get home? He worried a bit about that. He felt hollow and empty and drained of all emotions. Yet deep down inside of him, there was a sleeping volcano. This volcano would remember the tinny taste of fear, the smell of death, the smoky smell of the Viet Cong, the sound of mortars and claymore mines, hovering helicopters and the screams of injured mates. He would remember that he had killed men. He was 22 years old. Would this volcano remain dormant? Or would it erupt in a holocaust of painful memories, nightmares, and a sea of endless faces forever marching before his eyes, combining to form the hell that was Vietnam? Only time would tell. Andy, we salute you. Andy, we salute you. A story of the Vietnam War, written by Carla Evans, and read by Barry Goodyear. Much more than I ever knew, and I think 
picture myself What a wonderful world Yes, I think to myself What a wonderful
Now here's Carla with a word of encouragement. We come today to remember those men and women. And also we remember those who kept the home fires burning while their loved ones were far away from them, as they too had hardships to carry. And on a very sensitive note, we also remember in a special way those who, because of the experiences of war, could not live with the pain of those experiences. They too will never be forgotten. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them, lest we forget.
You have been listening to a program entitled Andy, We Salute You, dedicated to all of those who served in Vietnam. We just want to say how much we appreciate the service that all who gave to our country. And we trust that you enjoyed the story, which is based on feelings of men that Carla interviewed as she spoke to them after the war. The program was produced in the studios of Wangaratta Community Radio some years ago, and the reader was Barry Goodyear, who was an announcer on 3NE. Carla Evans is the author of the actual article, and the program was produced by myself, David Evans. Again, let me say we are thankful that we won an Australia-wide award for the program and we hope that it continues to serve many, many years to come. Thank you for listening and this has been Heart and Soul. If you want to write to us, our address is heartandsoulmusic at bigpond.com. That's heartandsoulmusic at bigpond.com. Until we meet again, may the Lord bless you wonderfully.